Let's sing together. How has the sinner been forgiven? How has the rebel been made clean? Or blinded eyes been made to see? How have the orphans been adopted? Who hated your love and ran from grace, despised and rejected all your ways? How wonderful the Father's love, the Father's love for us. That He would send His only Son to come and rescue us. He has saved us, called us blameless, guides us now and will sustain us. Oh, how wonderful the Father's love. Your mercy, your mercy floods our lives with kindness. Your grace has covered all we see, and you have promised not to leave. You freely give your spirit to us, so we can be sure we're sons of God and rest in the hope of what's to come. How wonderful the Father's love, the Father's love for us. That He would send His only Son to come and rescue us. He has saved us. He has saved us, called us blameless, guides us now and will sustain us. Oh, how wonderful the Father's love. How about we sing verse 2 again? Your mercy floods. Frank, you're going to have to go back a couple slides. Your mercy floods our lives with kindness. Your grace is colored all we see, and you have promised not to leave. You'll freely give your spirit to us, so we can be sure we're sons of God and rest in the hope of what's to come. How wonderful the Father's love, the Father's love for us. That He would send His only Son to come and rescue us. He has saved us. He has saved us, called us blameless, guides us now and will sustain us. Oh, how wonderful the Father's love. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns His face away has wounds which mar the chosen one, bring many sons to glory. Behold, 
Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain? Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Amen. Amen. Pastor Peter is going to come up, or maybe Frank is before, and we're going to continue our morning together. Well, uh, thank you. Um, perfect songs for that, what we've done this morning. Um, before Pastor Peter uh, comes and shares with us this morning, um, there's a young lady I've gotten to know that um, is going to share uh, a little bit about her life and the glories of having had me as a husband for... <laughs> no, but I've, I have asked my wife to come and just talk a bit about what the Spirit of God has done and is doing in her life. And... Uh, just to give you guys uh, just a sense of, I mean, you heard Debbie and Peter on, if you were here Tuesday night, and, uh, and so I asked Annette if she would come and just uh, share a little bit with us this morning. So, love, she didn't dress up for you guys. She's actually going to, she, she's actually going to a, a high school reunion in just a few minutes. Brother Martin, was that what you graduated? Well, all right. I've got the mic now. Point, counterpoint. That's right. So let me tell you a little bit about Frank. I brought one of the love letters he wrote me. I should do that next time. I got a stack of them. It'd be awesome. Anyway, uh, yeah, Frank asked me to share this morning and um, talk to you, I guess, about um, the Holy Spirit's working to get me to stand in front of you today, right? And everything he's had to do in between. Uh, a little bit about my background. Um, I uh, grew up... Uh, the, the middle child of a bunch of girls, and my dad left when I was seven, so we moved uptown, and it was not little women by any stretch of the imagination. We all had our own rooms. We had locks. We were forbidden to borrow each other's clothes, or really, we had very little communication with one another. My mom wanted us to go and see the world individually, 
And so that's the way we were. Uh, I got in a lot of trouble. Started young. Started doing drugs when I was 12. Uh, I just kind of checked out. Uh, went to Dominican, so my 45th class reunion. So you can count how old I am. Um, I went off to LSU, got in a lot more trouble. And um, in went to a frat party with a guy that I was dating, and I saw Frank, who was, had a date with a girl that I had gone to school with in eighth grade because I punched the nun in eighth grade and got kicked out of the Catholic school. So I went to Ridgewood, where I met uh, the girl he had a date with. So we became good friends, and um, he was the brother I never had, the nicest guy I ever met. I fixed him up with the baton twirler in my, next door in the dorm, everybody that I thought was nice because he was so nice. And I was so not nice. So anyway, we became friends. My mom called him Faithful Frank because he was just always around. Would do anything I asked. And we had no men around, really, so he was handy. So, uh, and he never talked, never said a word. Uh, you know, my mom with four daughters, he never had a chance to say a word. So he kept his mouth shut. That was really smart. Um, anyway... Um, through a series of really bad circumstances, I uh, dropped out of school, I uh, lost my job, and I smashed into a tree going 45 miles an hour, all within 24 hours. It was great. Anyway, I came back to New Orleans. I'd go up on the weekend because I was dating a bar owner who was uh, a good bit older than me. And um, so one morning, Frank invited me to go to church with him, and I was like, oh, brother. But he's so nice, and I didn't want to tell him no. So we closed the bar, that club that my boyfriend owned, and without any sleep, I went straight to his church. And uh, it was there that I heard for the first time that if I had been the only person in the world, Jesus would have died just for me. I had heard a wholesale gospel that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. But this morning, it was just about me. And... uh, you know, I was not, at the ripe old age of 19, I had gotten myself in a mess of trouble and, uh, you know, couldn't wake up in the morning without, you know, having my drugs and stuff. So that sounded like a good deal. You made me. You want my life. You can do a better job, clearly. Uh, you can have it. That's kind of the way I approached God. And <clears throat> he was really gracious to meet me there. And so the next morning, I pulled my little vial out, which I had to do every morning just to get out of bed. And I looked at it, and I was like... I don't want this. Now, why did I want it yesterday, but I don't want it today? So I poured it in the toilet, and um, my life just radically started changing. So I have to, obviously, that's the Holy Spirit. I didn't go looking for God. He obviously came after me. And, um, and within a few months after that, Frank's and my friendship developed to be, you know, obviously he's a Christian a few months before me. He'd been praying for me, which I knew about, and I thought that was quite nice. Um, Anyway, now I'm going to Bible studies with him. I'm still in New Orleans. He's up at LSU. He hooks me up with an uptown Bible study with a bunch of old people like (laughs) y'all. And I was 19, but I really loved it. I felt, you know, I'm sort of like playing where I was just like, I'm loving God and I'm loving his people. I don't care how old you are. So um, he'd come in on the weekends and we went to a wedding one weekend and afterward he's like, do you think you could ever love me like a wife could love a husband? And I was like, oh, a brother. Uh, I don't feel like that about you. I certainly could if God wanted me to. So the first time in my life, we prayed out loud together. It was very awkward, but nobody else was around, so it was okay. 
So we really just said, Lord, um, you know, give, we give you our relationship, do whatever you want to do. He went back to Baton Rouge. I was here in New Orleans. The next weekend he came in. We went to the zoo. We were walking through the zoo. He had on a yellow shirt and white tennis shorts. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden I looked at him and I thought, darn, he's cute. Like I never thought Frank was cute because he was kind of the tacky dresser of the deck house. Uh, he wasn't preppy like all the guys I knew. But... Uh, I don't know what happened, but between the week we prayed and the week I'm seeing him now, I'm in love with him. And the Lord just gave me that supernatural love, which, again, is a work of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, yeah, so that was uh, two months after we were engaged, six months after that we were married. So, And it's been great because it's nothing I did. He's the one that put the love in me. He's the one that keeps it, and uh, I'm very glad he does. So what do we do then? We got married. We found a little church. Um, kind of crazy little church uptown on Magazine Street. And um, we were exposed to what the Bible talks about in Corinthians uh, with, of the gifts of the Spirit. And, um, you know, it was a little wacky looking at first, like all this stuff looks. But um, it was a little bit attractive to me, too, because the idea that the Lord had special things he wanted to give me, gifts, uh, I like gifts, um, Christmas, I like gifts. So what are these gifts? So I watched people like speak in tongues and uh, prophesy. A lot of that went on in this little small church. And though it was kind of like, part of me was like, yeah, I want that. So um, I went forward one Sunday when they were asking who wanted that kind of stuff. And I went and I said, okay, Lord, I'm just going to focus on you. I want whatever you want to give me. But secretly, I thought that tongues thing looked kind of cool. But uh, I went up and they prayed for me and nothing happened. And so, but they assured me that because I came up and prayed and they prayed for me, that I had the Holy Spirit. And that, you know, manifestations might not be there right now, but, you know, maybe. So I went back to my apartment. I lived, this is before we were married, and um, I lived uptown in a cute little apartment over a grocery store. I went back and, you know, about midweek of that same week, I was praying in my apartment and lo and behold... I prayed out loud, and it wasn't English. And I was like, whoa, that's weird. So, But I was very excited about it because I had read a lot about it, and I'd read in the Bible where it's it's supposed to edify you and it's supposed to give glory to God, and it's kind of talking, passing you. It's the Holy Spirit. And so I thought that was, um, I thought it was pretty cool. And um, since then, I mean, it's a gift like so many of them in Corinthians, but it's another kind of work the Holy Spirit does. Um, you know, I watch people raise their hands. I'm like, I am never doing that. That is so weird. And that Sunday morning in church, the pastor said, um, what do you do if somebody walks up to you and walks up to you and sticks a gun in your back and you're walking down the street? What's the first thing you do? You raise your hands. And what are you saying? The minister said, when you do that, you're saying, I surrender. You can have everything I have. He goes, well, that's why we raise our hands in church. I was like, wow, I could do that, because <laughs> that's what I felt. I felt like I was surrendering everything I had to God. So little by little, all this very uncomfortable stuff became to very comfortable. Um, God still, obviously, I'm a work in process, and um, I'm glad for that. But um, I love the Lord, and I see now all throughout my life where the Holy Spirit has grabbed a hold of me and transformed me into what he's making me to be. And I'm happy he's doing that, because... I probably wouldn't be alive if I hadn't. So thank you, Lord. Thank y'all. So uh, if she doesn't punch a nun in the face, I never meet her. I mean, that amazing... (laughs) 
Anyway, thank you, love. You, just a taste of the, the gift I have had for the last 41 years. And uh, so anyway, uh, we're going to break into this session now. So I, I'm assuming Peter is here. I did see him. Oh, yeah, okay. Hurry up, old man, would you please? <laughs> I know. That's what we're afraid of. Uh, Some of you weren't. Who was not here last, week, last night? That's not bad, too bad. A few of y'all. Hey, Steve. Who's that? Dawn? And who else? Oh, you weren't here. <laughs> I thought sure an LSU advocate would be here. Good to see y'all today. I'm waiting for my little bottle of water. Thank you. Thank you so much. The ministry of Kenneth Belton, everyone. First of all, as we begin this afternoon, uh, this morning, I do want to make sure, and I, I know we know this, but I want to make sure we accentuate it. The reason this kind of a weekend is able, is that a bomb you put under there or what? <clears throat> you know, when these Italians come up and slip something underneath, I, I don't know what to think. How many Italians did I just offend? Uh, just want to make sure we, we accentuate something. Such a weekend as in any activity, but especially this kind of an activity requires the selfless ministry of people, members of the church, in setting up, excuse me, in cleaning, in preparing, in serving, in doing everything necessary so we can come in here in the morning, have a breakfast, sit down, listen to, listen to what's being said, having it taped and recorded, benefiting from what the Holy Spirit wants to say and do for us. And so I just want to acknowledge that, and he's not here right now, Pete Shefferstein is our administrator, and he oversees all the mechanical act. Hey, wait, wait. Hey, Pete! I just saw him. Pete Shefferstein. Now, this is a man that oversees all this. So the reason I'm saying this is if any of you get sick from the meal, it's his fault. Thank you, Pete. And Pete has a little group of helpers. I don't know whether we call them Pete-ats or whatever they're called. But someone, occasionally we get asked, are these folks who are attending us paid? No. Not in earthly money. They're paid in this way. And by the way, this doesn't count for the talk today. They're paid this way. Matthew 25, 40. Matthew 25, verse 40. If you don't know it, 
You have to know this verse. It is critical. You have to know it. Matthew 25, 40. And Jesus is explaining why some folks are the sheep and why some of the goats on the day of judgment. Let me reiterate. There is a day of judgment in which God will separate everyone into two categories. We may not like it. We may think it's narrow, but it's God's prerogative. Those who have not been brought into the kingdom of God by the Holy Spirit, having trusted Jesus alone for their salvation, and those who have been brought into the spirit, uh, into the kingdom of God, having been born again. And for those who are part of the kingdom of God, this is what Jesus says as he is explaining. Inasmuch, this is verse 40, inasmuch as you have done it for or unto the least of one of these, my brethren, as you have served my people, my purposes, you've done it to me. That's the payment if you would. They're not doing it to get paid. They're doing it because they love God. And God pays. Amen? God pays. How many of us have children who love us and we don't pay them a salary but we pay them with ourselves? Don't we, do we do Anybody does that in here? Do you follow me? Okay. All right. Let me take one more drink so the radiator doesn't go too down. Last night we talked about the ministry of the Spirit causing us to be born again in the kingdom of God. This morning, and what we're going to say today is addressed specifically and only to those who are members of the kingdom of God. Because what we're going to say today is about the work of the Holy Spirit energizing us, empowering us to walk as God's children. Not to become God's children through what we do, because we are God's children through what God has done in his son at the cross applied to us by the Holy Spirit. So we've been born again. I don't know everyone in here, so I don't know whether everyone is, but I'm saying it in a very general way. I'm not affirming anyone's in particular salvation because I don't know some of you. But for the born-again people of God, he has done this not because we needed to be saved, which we do, but you see, he's done this for a very specific purpose. God has done what he's done to manifest or display the glory of himself, who he is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to declare this intra-Trinitarian fellowship among the three persons of the Trinity in their relational love for one another. This is the glory of God. 
This is God's passion. And so Jesus came as God's servant son and took on the humiliation of our flesh so that in saving us so that we would be constituted as God's children in us the glory of God the Father would be growingly manifested by the Holy Spirit's work in us as he is manifesting Christ in us. Now, I know that's a lot, and if you didn't get it all or whatever, seriously, you just have to get the tape, and it's okay. But we want to begin and always emphasize this. What is going on here, not just here in this conference or this weekend, but going on in the Christian life, it is all about God, it is all from God, and it is all for God. That's the essence. And we are the means that God has chosen to declare himself. So let me now turn to my notes and share with you what I feel the Holy Spirit has given me to share. This morning we're going to talk about the ministry of the Spirit to empower us to be God's extraordinary people. Extraordinary people. How many of us who have children or grandchildren, any great-grandchildren in here? Not yet. My oldest granddaughter is married now, next, next week a year, and I'm waiting for one announcement. What is that? Papa, guess what? What? What, what am I waiting for, Seth? Great grandfather. I like you. You're on, you know, you know what's happening. You understand life. I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for the call or whatever. Guess what, Papa? I'm going to have a baby. And when you, when she announces that to me, you're going to hear a roar. Wherever you are, you will hear a sound and you will say, that old man will become a grand, a great grandfather. How many of you want your children or grandchildren just to be ordinary? Yeah, just, just to kind of get by. How many of you want them to be extraordinary? Only one or two of you. That's not bad. Don't let your children know. I'm not going to tell on you. <laughs> Guess what? Your daddy doesn't care. <laughs> I'm not going to tell on you. But there's a camera back there that all the hands were recorded and I'm going to. The joy of a parent or grandparent is expressed and experienced variously in life. But there's just something about when my child is declared extraordinary when she or he is approbated when they get an award when they win something that child thinks he or she is excited but they don't know excitement as the parent correct 
years ago, my daughter's 47 or 8 years old, whatever it is. She's born in 71, so you do the math. And she was graduating from the 8th grade, you know, and you go to junior high and then graduate in high school. And so my wife and I are in the auditorium there. It's not a large auditorium. And the principal is going to be talking about an award that is given only occasionally. And it had not been given for a couple of years. Hmm, okay, hey. And it's given to a student who has excelled in various areas. And not necessarily academically, although the student has to be a decent, has to have decent academics. Because if it were straight A's, my daughter would not have gotten it. See, she didn't inherit my ability. When I was in college, I made straight A's. My B's were a little crooked. And so, thank you for understanding that. Did, did you get that? A, B, little crooked. And so she's going on about this. It hasn't been done in a few years. But this year in the eighth grade class, there's a girl. It's an all-girls school where she went. Who has excelled in relationships. Da, 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 da. And I'm sitting there, you know, on the edge of the uh, aisle there. It's okay. I'm not expecting it to be anybody I know. And then she says, the child's name, the girl's name is Ashley Davidson. Everybody in that room knew whose daughter that was. I let out a yell. <laughs> now, my wife tried to crawl under the seat. I went, whoa! You see, I can be heard. And I'm going to be heard when it has to do with something about my child or grandchildren. You are going to hear from me. Amen? Why? Because I am pumped about my children being extraordinary. I am not interested in just ordinary getting by. So when we go to the graduation of one of my grandchildren, <laughs> Jean, do you remember Jean last night? She says to me, because we don't know who's getting what. She says to me, now don't get excited. And I said to her, in a sweet way, hopefully, you know, you may need to sit elsewhere if that's how you feel. No, I'm sorry. You see, BJ, it's not happening. It's not happening. You're going to hear me. And we should be able to hear any loving parent express great joy over the child being shown as extraordinary. Right? So I am not here to brag about my grandson who won six academic awards as a senior at Lusher a few years ago and the only one who won that many. I'm not, I'm not bragging about that. I'm not bragging about my granddaughter, Anna, who went to De La Salle and won the John Philip Sousa, she was in the music department, award for outstanding music. I'm not going to brag about my grandchildren. I'm not here for that purpose, to tell you how extraordinary my grandchildren are. That's not my purpose today. 
See, I could go on and on about this, and Frank is sitting there thinking, please move on, please move on. And I am sorry. Some of you are jealous because I know my grandchildren are more extraordinary than anybody in here. Hey, do you want to have a riot of old people? Everybody coming up trying to... <laughs> Y'all will be old one day, you'll see. You just don't move as fast and as well. You'll be 76 one day, you know, it's not there anymore. You see, God has saved us so that we, we, as his children, would live lives that express, that exemplify, that exude the extraordinariness of God's own Son. Not that I'd be extraordinary in and of myself. Because you see, when my child or grandchildren are shown to be extraordinary, it just hits me in a place that I gotta let it go. Somebody, I gotta say it. I got to say something. Something's got to be saved. I just said, I just have to do that. So, as we proceed this morning, and I know I'm going slow, I'm kind of slow sometimes. Please get this. Every aspect of my life, of your life, as a child of God, is going to make a clear and definitive statement about God's own Son. Everything I do, everything I think, every place I go, everything about me, every aspect of me, whatsoever it is, is going to be a declaration, whether we know it or not, like it or not, or whatever it not, is going to be a clear and distinct declaration about God's own Son in whom He is well pleased. Now that's massive because too often I think we as those who have been born into the kingdom of God, those who have been saved, those who are Christians. We don't think like this. God has saved us by giving us his spirit so that his son may be in us glorified and made to be demonstrated as extraordinary. So that God the Father is glorified in the extraordinariness of his own son in us. Does this make sense to you? We can relate it as parents, can't we? It's like, ah, that's what's happening. That's why I get so excited about my child. Because God has given us the ability to experience something of himself. As we experience great joy over our own children. You see, Jesus was just an ordinary man, right? You remember? A carpenter's son, born in Nazareth. It's like he was born in Chalmette. 
Any Chalmettes in here? Anybody in Chalmette? Or like he was born in West Wego. <laughs> or maybe worse than that, it's like he was born in Jefferson Parish. Oh, I'm on Orleans. See, I live in New Orleans. He's an ordinary man. And so, who is this ordinary man? He lives a life that when you see him, he's just an average guy. In fact, Isaiah 53 says he's not even good looking. He's not one of these, look at me. You say, I can pretend I'm good looking. Mm -hmm, And walking around and blonde hair and blue eyes and, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. He's a Jew. That's not knocking Jews. He's short. He has a big nose and he has black curly hair probably. This is what Jewish men look like overall. Not making fun of Jewish men. This is a trait of Semitic people. Who is this man? How do we know he's connected to God? Because of what we see and hear in him. So Jesus was an ordinary man, but his life was more Anything but ordinary, it was what? Extraordinary or extraordinary. Read you a couple, three scriptures. It's not in your notes, so you may want to take them down if you want. It's up to you. Matthew twelve twenty-two to 24. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he, Jesus, healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed. How can this be the son of David? Can a mere human cast out demons? Yes or no? Apart from God, can he do it? No. Extraordinary. Look what he did. Mark 10, 24. Jesus is teaching and the Bible says the disciples were amazed Amazed at what he said. The people, remember, were amazed at Jesus' ability not only to teach, but what he said and the content and what they felt when he said it. When he spoke, when he went places, when he did things, they were hearing and experiencing heaven. And they had never had this experience before. But here was a man in their midst who was unlike anybody else they had ever seen. Never anybody like this. Who is this man? Mark 15, 5, at the trial of Jesus, you remember Pilate is asking him questions. Are you this? Are you that? What about the other? And Jesus is going to be killed. He's going to be crucified. And Pilate is trying to let him off. You remember that? He's trying to let him go. And so Pilate is trying to find a way to declare Jesus as not worthy of crucifixion. That's what's happening here. And so you're talking to a condemned man and you're asking, what about this and what about that? Now, you would think what? That he would explain, well, look, this is it. and Because I don't want to be, right? Normal people do that. But this is not a normal or an ordinary man. And he doesn't answer. He doesn't protect himself. He doesn't, you know, try to get out of it. And the Bible says Pilate was amazed. Amazed with him. How can this be? 
You're about ready to die and you're not even defending yourself or trying to do something or say something that will allow me the ability to let you go. And you know why? Because Jesus came for that hour. That was Jesus' choice to die for the Father's glory. So that God's people would be saved and God would be glorified in his people. Now, Jesus' extraordinary life was then seen and demonstrated in these disciples. Do you remember the disciples? It's not the kind of group you'd want to put on the board of elders at your church. You know what I mean? Just a bunch of different people. Yeah, we had a couple of high-toned people in it. You had math. Uh, I mean, you had uh, Bartholomew. Or, what was his name? Nathaniel. But you also had a tax collector. Those who had, were working with the Romans, taking taxes and taxing a little bit more than they needed to in order to get their money. They were stealing from the Jewish people, these own Jews. Matthew's a tax collector. Levi is his name. So you had this group of men. This is maybe some, maybe this is even less than ordinary people. But yet, in these ordinary men, after Jesus sent the Holy Spirit from heaven, just a couple of verses here, Acts 3.11. The context is John and Peter and John are going into the temple and there's a, a beggar there. He's crippled. He's been there for years and years and years. Arms for the poor, arms, arms. He's crippled. Arms, can't walk. Arms. Now, you're, you're, you're part of the crowd. You're part of the crowd going into the temple. You see, oh, there he is again. You know, there's that guy again asking for money. Do, do you talk, are you with me on this? Put yourself there. Arms, arms. And you've been into the temple many times. You see the guy. He's crippled. And Peter and John walk in. Now, this is how we typically do. We see somebody looking for money, and we kind of look the other way. How many of us do that? Come on, come on. As if, if I don't see them, they can't see me. (laughs) Thank you, Don. You've been there, haven't you? If I don't look at them, they don't exist. But if I look at you, so I can imagine most of the people kind of like, La, da, da, la, da, 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 da. But Peter and John come in and Peter looks right at him. Boom. For the first time, someone's looking at him. And Peter says, hey, I don't have any money. Oh, man, thanks. But that which I have, I give to you. In the name, it means the power and the authority and the character and the nature of God himself, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he grabbed that man's hand, and life came back into those limbs. And this man got up, and it said, they went walking and leaping and praising God. Amen? And when the people saw this, if you were there walking along, and you were in the crowd right at that moment, what would you say about these two men, Peter and John? We'd say, ah, well, you know. 
two religious freaks. Would you say that? How many of you call him a religious freak? You'd say, oh, oh my word. And you live in that society during that time, and you not only would be amazed, but you would remember another man who did that kind of extraordinary work. Can you hear me back there? And whom would you remember? Say it again. Jesus. Acts 4.13, when they saw the courage, when the people saw the courage of Peter and John, you know, in their response to the religious leadership that told them, don't you do this, don't you do that, you better not do that, and so on. That they were unschooled, ordinary men, you know. This isn't a group of guys who went to Newman, then Tulane, and then have a PhD from Oxford University. These are, you know, just... Not even high school graduates, probably, for the most part. Ordinary, unschooled. They were what? Astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, I need to move along or we'll be here till tomorrow morning. Doesn't bother me, but I think you all need to go home today. Okay, so this means that God has saved us to be his extraordinary people whose lives display the extraordinary person and power and work and words and life of Jesus Christ. In 1958, I'm in high school. Do we have that thing up there? I'm in high school in 1958. My aunt and uncle, I was raised by my aunt and uncle after uh, my parents and my mother left us. And so, fortunately, my aunt and uncle were there to take us. So I'm in high school. And they buy a car, a 1958 Ford station wagon from Bone Ford. You remember Bone Ford? Remember on Broad? So they bought a car, gray and black. Now, we're not talking about, in those days, a car that's a, wow, look at that car. This is just an ordinary white wall car with the basics in it. A 1958 Ford station wagon. So I was able to get to drive it occasionally. But I noticed something about this ordinary car. It had a little pep in it. It could get up and move. Hey. Ordinary on the outside. Now stop for a moment. Let me ask you this question. You may have to remember where I am about the car. I sometimes lose track when I leave. You get up in the morning, and you go into the bathroom, and there's a mirror in there. Now, Julio, if you're smart like I am, I'll let the mirror know I'm coming. I don't want to shatter it. Prepare it. I'm coming. 
and I'm going to be looking and you're going to be seeing me. And you look into the mirror in the natural. How many of you consider yourselves extraordinary? Man, man, this is something else. John, don't lie, brother. (laughs) How many of us, man, you are God's creation of beauty of whatever. I mean, the hair, see, it's all coming out. The nose, look at the nose. Look at the nose on this thing. The head goes too far forward rather than this. I look like a turkey sometimes walking around. This is anything but extraordinary. In other words, the mirror is a bad reflection on me. You have to think about that for a moment. So I'm driving this ordinary car. But there's something different about it. So one night, I'm coming back from somewhere I don't remember. I'm kind of a geek. I'm not a racer. And I'm sitting at the light of North Galvez and Canal. Do you know where that is? Somebody ever heard of those two streets? They intersect, you know. And the light's red. And I'm sitting there. I'm minding my own business. Believe it or not, in those days, I actually minded my own business. Today, when I go places, people force themselves on me to talk about whatever. They just come to me and make me talk to them. Don't you find that out yourself? I'm sitting quietly and they say, tell me about your grandchildren. I'm sitting quietly and they say, hey, I want to know what you're reading and why and what you believe about God. They make me do that. I don't interfere. They make me because I'm shy and quiet. But in those days, I am shy and quiet. See, God delivered me of it and some people say he went too far. <laughs> don't ask God to deliver you something. He may throw you way out where you don't want to be. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and up next to me drives boom, 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 boom. This young guy, I'm young, he's young, but probably a little older than I am. Is the car up there yet, Frank? Oh, there it is. Now, that's not my car, but that's what it looked like. Now, can you dig that? Man, don't think about an antique, but in those days, that is a, wow. No, it's just a Ford. Fix or repair daily. That's what this is. And I own a Ford and a Chevy. Look at it. Can you imagine cruising down the streets with this and heads turning? Whoa, look at that car. Man, no, it ain't happening. I'm... I'm invisible as I'm going down the street because no one turns their head to look at that. Today they would, but not in those days. So you're driving a Chevy truck today, just go, eh. And I'm sitting there and he drives up, vroom, vroom, and he starts, vroom, vroom, his car. And he has a little, you know, whatever kind of car, and he wants to race. Well, actually, believe it or not, I didn't have a race mentality. But he's looking at me, and I look at him, not like, ah. I says, look at him. And he's drooling. I mean, have, have you ever been in this situation? I didn't ask for it. I'm just waiting at the light. I'm going home or someplace at 930 at night or whatever. So the light's red. 
it turns yellow on the other side. And when it hits green, and I'm gone. I am gone. Today, if you were to go to North Galvez and Canal, there's a guy sitting in a souped-up car. And he's still like this. He's still sitting there thinking, wondering, which way did he go? Which way did he go? What had happened? Now, that's extraordinary. Wouldn't you think if I beat him? I I, I did beat him. I beat him. Yes, I did. Oh, yes, I did. Now, how in the world does a station wagon beat a car that is maybe built to do some speed? How does that happen? You see, because underneath the hood, inside of this ordinary car, was the V8 police interceptor engine. You see, when my aunt and uncle bought the car, there were only five left. They didn't know that this was a fleet of cars that was to be purchased by the New Orleans Police Department, and there were five left over, so they sold her this car. They didn't say, hey, guess what? They just sold her a car. But underneath the hood was a power-packed engine. You've heard of interceptor engines? Some of you know what I'm talking about. They still make them. Nowadays, the Explorer has the big V8 interceptor engine. In other words, it's built for speed. It's built in such a way that we're going to catch you. You may think the outside is hokey, but when I step on the gas, you're going to find out that we can get you. The big V8 interceptor. I knew it had spunk. I had an idea I could beat him. I didn't know, but... The light turns green. I'm hit the pedal. And I just beat the guy. And an ordinary engine. I'm sorry, a car. And why was it extraordinary? Why was it able to declare or display an extraordinariness within the context of its ordinariness because of the power of the engine. Not because of the hood, the glass, the paint, the design, the outside exterior. But there was a power in the car. We become the people of God. And a peculiar thing happens. We've been taught correctly that as the people of God, God wants our lives to excel, to declare that his son is extraordinary. Excel in our obedience to God. Excel in our understanding of Scripture. Excel in serving the purposes of God and serving one another. Excel in all the ways that God has designed us to excel so that His Son in us may be declared as extraordinary. This pleases the Father. In this is the Father glorified. 
in his son, he is well pleased. And I forgot what I was going to say. But the only way this can be done is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ah, thank you, Lord. So we know that God wants us to live lives of extraordinary ability. Do you get that today? Does everybody understand that? Now what do you do? Now what do you do? Well, here's what you do. By the way, what I'm going to say is false, but so here's what you think you're going to do. Now that I'm saved, now that I know my purpose in life, now that I know I'm going to heaven, I'm forgiven. Now my life is set now for the purpose of God. I'm now going to try to do my best. Bam, 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 bam. Now that I have a station wagon that can move from zero to 60 and whatever, I am going now to... To push this thing along. To get somewhere. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. You need to laugh. Say it again. What's your name? Paige. Hey Paige. I love that laughter because that is ludicrous, isn't it? I have this car with this great engine, and here you watch me on the street, and I'm putting... Why are you, why are you pushing it? Because, you see, I, I, the car has to get me somewhere. I'm in the car so I can go places. And I'm, what in the world? Why don't you get in and depend upon the power of the engine? They, oh, wow. Hey, you mean I don't have to try to move the car? The problem is you can't. You're going to fail. You see, as believers in Christ, we are not supposed to try to live for God. We are to be yielding to and cooperating with the power of the Holy Spirit in us who is the only one who can live for God in and through us. Do you know that? Correct? Are you with me? So stop trying because you're going to be defeated. That's why so many who live the Christian life are so worn out. I'm I'm worn out. I'm pushed a car block. I'm worn out. I got to go take a nap. I'll never get to Baton Rouge like this. See, Jesus did not come and try to live for God. He lived the extraordinary life of God by the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit. The centrality of this need in us is that the power of the presence of God by His Spirit is in me. And His desire is that I recognize Him and His ability and I call upon Him, depending upon Him and trusting Him, To energize me, that is my dependence and my cooperation and obedience with him. To energize me that way so that as he is doing that, my life becomes one with his life. And that as he is moving, I am moving in and with him. As he is speaking, I am speaking, what is it? 
in and with him. As he is ministering, I am ministering in and with him. Because you see, the only life that pleases God is the life that is produced by the Holy Spirit in me. So that should be very freeing. Because the burden of the life is not on what I do. The burden of the life and the majesty of the life is what the Holy Spirit does in me, with me, and through me. Did you hear the prepositions? In me, with me, and what? Through me. I use prepositions purposely. I was an English teacher. I don't know a whole lot, but I know a little bit of English. And I say these things purposely to you as hopefully the Holy Spirit gives them to me. They mean something. The Holy Spirit, what? In me. With me. And what? Through me. Yes, me. I. But I wrapped up and and infused with the Holy Spirit. You see, the car isn't competing with the motor. The motor isn't independent of the car. If you would, allow me to say it this way. The car and the motor have become one. Hello? Do you understand? You can nod your heads or whatever. It's a classroom. I'm a classroom school teacher. I need to have some kind of an indication. Do you understand this? The motor and the car are not independent entities necessarily. They have been joined together to do what they're supposed to do. And so it's the motor in, with, and through the car. It's the car in, with, and through the motor. Do, do we see this? And you also become a part of the car because Well, in, in that way, yeah. In that way, I'm the, I'm the driver. Do we see what's happening here? This is what we're talking about when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not making me do something. It's not me trying to catch him. It's us together. The two becoming one relationally. You see, when you look at the life of Jesus, this man walks on water. Oh, you may not believe it, but that's your problem. You see, if he, this is what I was taught in, in school, in religious class. <clears throat> Jesus didn't walk on water. That's not what happened. You see, it uh, appeared to the disciples that he did. It was just a reflection that looked like water on the beach. You know how did it, and look, ooh, he's walking on water, but he wasn't. And so, you have a man walking along the beach and it's not water and then the disciples overcome and amazed and they try to, and Peter jumps into the water. For why did he do that? Because this man was walking on the water. This man raises the dead. This man heals the blind, uh, the, um, the, the, the infirm. In John 9, he heals a blind man. And then it says, never before has this ever been done. Isn't it John 9 where he spits in the mud? And packs it on his face. Maybe that's where it comes from. There's mud in your eye. But I don't know. But he does that. And it says, no, this has never happened before. What I think could have happened, 
and I heard this years ago, it could have been that this, and they didn't recognize. Remember, I'm not sure if this is my son or not. I don't think these parents are saying, yeah, I don't want to be a hunter. If this is my son. They don't recognize because probably or very probably he had a birth defect where he had no eye sockets. And Jesus made a creative miracle by taking the dirt as he did in creating Adam. But nevertheless, and when he does this, can this man be an ordinary man? Or does that show that that man is a divine man? And in me and in you, that same thing. But when we see Jesus do that, you know what our, our default is? Well, that's Jesus. Sorry, that's Jesus. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would not have been able to do any miracles. Now, that might surprise you. Because he did not come as a superhuman. He came as a humble man. Humbly dependent upon the Holy Spirit for absolutely everything about himself. And he, in order to save us from our sin, had to live completely by the power of the Spirit. So when you look at Jesus and you listen to him and you watch him, not only see a man, certainly see a man, but see the power of the Holy Spirit working and ministering in, with, and through that man. This is why Jesus had to be anointed with the Spirit, Luke 3.22. The Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. That had to happen. Luke 4.1.2. What was the result? And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led, into this, led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. After coming out of the wilderness, the Bible says that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Everything about Jesus' life spoke about the power of the Holy Spirit, whom God the Father, with whom God, upon whom God the Father, let me say this again. Everything about Jesus was the revelation of the Father's anointing Jesus with the Spirit. He doesn't ever do anything of his own ability. John 5, 19, and 30 tells you that. Ability as pertaining to the works of God. I can't. I can't. I'm not going to even try. Because I can't do it as a human. I only can do it as a human imbued with and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And if he can't, we can't either. So I think if this is in your notes... Jesus ministered to people's needs. How? Is that in your notes? By the power of the Spirit. Do we, is that in your notes? He cast out demons. How? How? How, man, back there? How did Jesus cast out uh, demons? How did he do it? Look at your notes. By the power of the Spirit. He fed thousands. How did he do it? By the power of the Spirit. He healed diseases. How? By the power of the Spirit. He forgave sin. How? By the power of the Spirit. He raised the dead. How? By the power of the Spirit. He went to the cross. How? 
By the power of the Spirit. You read that in Hebrews. He rose from the dead. How? By the power of the Spirit. He saves us by the power of the Spirit. And today he ministers to us from heaven by the same power of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Romans 5, 5. Jesus is leaving. And he tells his disciples, I want you all to hang around a little bit and wait because you're ready for ministry. You're not ready until you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus knew, don't go out into that world and try to live a Christian life on your own. It isn't going to work. You're only going to be able to display me who live under the power of the Holy Spirit by living under the power of the Holy Spirit yourself. And so he tells them this in Acts 1, 5 and 8, and five, 4 through 5 and 8. Jesus commanded them. He, what? He commanded. He didn't suggest. He didn't say, okay, now let's go out and minister. Let's go in the streets. Let's do this. Let's stand against Satan's temptation. Let's, whatever he said, he commanded them. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for what the Father had promised. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and all the rest of the world. See, Jesus knew they needed an interceptor engine. He knew that. Remember the Apostle Paul. Now, come on, let's be honest. It's okay to be honest. We're in church. Okay? This is a good place to be honest. How many of us would like on the day of judgment that Paul the Apostle is right before us? How many of you would feel comfortable with that? The Apostle Paul is right in front of you. He's first and you're next. He's first and you're next. He's first what? And then you're next. Or Paul, Peter, and John, and then you. Say, could I, could I go to another line? <laughs> could I sit this out for a few minutes and wait maybe for Steve to go and then I can follow Steve? I feel real comfortable following Steve, you see. Or I don't mind, I'd even have problems following my wife. But maybe at least that would be a little better for me. And so what that means is this. We see these men in a way that we ought not to see them. Because Paul is an ordinary little Jewish man with ordinary problems and difficulties, having absolutely no innate in himself abilities to do anything whatsoever for godliness. He ain't got it. It isn't there. And so in 1 Corinthians 12, do you remember the passage? Paul is talking about a man he knew that was taken up to the third heaven, paradise. Some of you remember that? Whether in the body or not, I don't know. And he says to such a man was given great revelations that were really not lawful to be sharing. And then he said to such a man, a fawn in the flesh was given him, a Satan, a messenger from Satan. What is it? I don't know. All I know is it was something that inhibited him from naturally being able to do what he wanted to do. So Paul comes back with the greatest revelation of all the church. He's been taken up to heaven, for goodness sakes. Read Galatians 1. He's sitting with Jesus. And Jesus is telling him, this is what I want you to do, and you're going to be the ambassador who will 
if you would, explain and teach about the church as you go out to the Gentiles. Greatest revelation. And you know, Paul's a zealot. He's ready to get out there and do this. And that. So Paul gets back. Hey, I've got to, I have it all. I'm ready to go. Let me go. Now, just let me loose, Jesus. And he starts going, wait, wait. Something's wrong with me. Okay. Uh, God, there's something wrong with me. I got something sticking in my side. Would you remove it? Why does he want it removed? He asked God three times to remove it. Why? Why? So he can do the ministry. How many of us have ever asked for God to remove weaknesses so we can be a better witness? Come on, come on, come on, come on. It ain't going to happen because the glory and the extraordinary of of God is that in the midst and because of these weaknesses God is being proclaimed in power oh so never ask God to remove weaknesses from you ask him to overcome it by the power of the spirit so Paul says okay I've tried it once let me try it again I'm going to man how am I going to do this three times and he asked God please remove it and what is the Lord's answer nope No. For why? My power, Holy Spirit power, Holy Spirit power is perfected or matured, brought to fruition in, in the midst of, and through your weaknesses. And when Paul saw this, he said, oh, glory, glory. Now I can stop trying to be somebody I cannot be. And now I can live a life that is submitted to the Spirit And run in the power of the Holy Spirit. And look what the man did. How many of you believe. That you can live the extraordinary life of Jesus. Apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of us. Are still too often. Losing battles against our sin. Hmm? Anybody? How many of us are too often losing battles of, against my sin? And one of the things we're doing is we're trying not to sin. We're making promises to God. We're swearing off this. We're going to do more. And we're doing it in a way that accentuates and actually emboldens sin in our flesh. It becomes the soil of sin because it becomes my energy and my work and my determination. And the only way this soil of sin that is resident in us, this flesh, can produce the flowers of God's grace is that the Holy Spirit becomes the plow. And we put our hands on him and he grabs our hands and we together begin to plow the field of our minds and of our flesh and of our soul. So that the seeds of God and the flowers of God and the work of God is being produced by Holy Spirit in, with, and through me. 
I am trying to push the plow through this thick mud of flesh, and I cannot do it. And the flesh continues to win the battle. I must come to the place of surrendering and saying, Father, I cannot do it. I refuse to try anymore. I stopped trying to be uh, obedient years ago. I stopped trying. I can't do it. Now what we do is to call upon him who is the power of God in us to begin to empower me. You understand what I mean, having said all this. So that when I am attacked and tempted, when there are difficulties, when I am uh, tempted to fear and be troubled and get angry and frustrated or whatever it is, I can say, Holy Spirit, empower me. Empower me. So that we together will resist and overcome these temptations Flush me of these feelings. Cleanse me. Cleanse my mind and my thoughts. You wash my mind. We need to learn that we need continually the presence of God's Spirit in power in me. Not the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, but the presence of the Spirit in power. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. But the difference is we need to be asking and receiving, trusting and cooperating with the residential interceptor engine that is under our hood. So what we're going to do now as we close this, we're going to pray. We're just going to pray. I shouldn't have said it that way. We're going to pray. I shouldn't have said we're just going to pray. We're going to pray. Don't leave here today say, I'm going to try this. (laughs) What's going to happen when you try? You're going to fail. Stop trying. Start calling upon him. Start trusting him. And when he begins to move and speak to you, cooperate. Cooperate. Join God in his work. Don't ask him to join you in your work. We join God. He joins us to himself. So we're just going to sit at the tables and pray. And every one of us, and I say us, Angel, because I continually need empowerment. I can tell you this faithfully. I don't know whether a day passes. I can't say it does because I don't know. But I don't think a day passes when I don't ask regularly, Father, empower me by your spirit. I have got to have continued and increasing power in your spirit. I can't make it through. I can't teach diddly squat. Apart from the presence in power of the Holy Spirit. Because the ministry of Jesus Christ in my life is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in me, with me, and through me. So let's bow our heads and just one-on-one, you before God, you and God, 
And if you believe and understand, I really need this because, and allow God to show you all the variables of your life. And every time he shows you something, don't say, ah, nah, nah, nah. say, Father, another reason why I need empowerment. And he shows you some other area. Another reason I need empowerment and another reason. I find myself too impatient. I can't be patient. I need the patience of the Holy Spirit. I find myself too unkind. I need the kindness of the Holy Spirit. I find myself not loving. I need the love of the Holy Spirit. I find myself not faithful enough. I need the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit. I find myself not being gentle. I need the gentleness of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray. Father, we pray together, and I just pray for us as a group as each one prays. Father, today as we sit here, we're asking you for the most essential work that you will do in our lives now that you have saved us. Father, and that is that you will imbue us and fill us, infuse us with the power of of your Holy Spirit, who now lives in us because we are your children. Father, we say this not to become your children, but we are your children if we've been born again by the Spirit. And now that we are yours, Father, we don't want to try to push this car up the hill of life. But we want to recognize, Father, you have set in us an interceptor engine. It's there. What we need to do is ask the Holy Spirit by turning on the key of that great engine and moving down the street, trusting it, submitting to it, going with it, cooperating. Father, our greatest need is for you to empower us this morning. For the first time, many are asking, they've never asked for this, Father. Would you begin a work in them today, Father, to empower them, Father, to fill them with your Spirit? Fill us, Father, with your spirit. We need a filling. Father, for those who have been filled, Father, maybe once, maybe twice, ten times, Father, continue to fill us because I find that my glass continues to lose the water of the spirit, Father. Continue to keep me filled with your Holy Spirit. So I ask you regularly, fill me today, fill me tomorrow, fill me tonight, fill me for every walk, every aspect of my life, that in anything and everything, my life will declare that Jesus Christ is the extraordinary risen, ruling, and returning Son of God who lives in me so that others, when they see me and experience me, Father, may see and hear your great Son for your glory. Father, fill us today as we just pray together, believing this is your will and this is what you will do As you pray today, sometimes the Holy Spirit gives evidence of filling people, physical evidence. People have been known to prophesy. People have been known to speak in tongues. People have been known to to express the presence of the Holy Spirit in power in extraordinary ways. So don't be inhibited today. You're among friends and you're among family members in the church. Fill us today, Father. Fill us. Let's just continue to pray for a few minutes. 
thanking God. Ask and then thank. Fill me, Father, and thank you, Father, for doing it. Fill me and trust by faith that he's doing it. You're saved not because of what you feel. You're saved by the work of Christ which you've received by faith. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Praise your name. What a desperate people we are. And I thank you that I am a desperate man. If I weren't, if I didn't recognize it, I would not belong to you. And you would not be glorified. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know that I am desperate and undone and incapable without your power. Thank you for that. Thank you for weaknesses in me that sometimes drive me crazy. But then I have to continue to remember this is the presence of your power thank you for weaknesses that display your power what a god of wisdom what a god you are what a great god father i pray that every person in here today who belongs to you father that this will be a day of monumental change That as we leave today, we will begin to recognize, wait a minute. I am experiencing God's power. I see change. Not that I'm trying to work, but that God is working in me. I find my attitudes changing inside, in my heart. I find my desires are changing inside, in my heart. I find that I am more excited about you inside, in my heart. Father, do this work in us. For this is your good pleasure, to be glorified in your people. Thank you, Lord.